Well, it's good to see all of you back this evening. We have kind of a, a smaller crowd. I kind of figured that uh, perhaps the holiday weekend would tire some folks out and they might not, uh, might not make it back. But I appreciate you being here and appreciate this opportunity that we have to, uh, to study God's Word together. For the last several weeks on Sunday nights, we've been doing kind of a series uh, <coughs> excuse me, that we've entitled Face to Face with Jesus and, and looking at the individual encounters that Jesus had with particular people in his ministry. And, and mainly we're going to be coming out of the book of John, and that's what we've done so far. And we saw Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in chapter 3. We saw his interaction with the Samaritan woman in chapter 4. And we also saw the uh, interaction he had with the official ruler who came and wanted Jesus to, uh, to heal his son at the end of chapter 4 as well. Chapter 5, I want us to look at, beginning in verse 1 through 15, we have a different encounter. It says, Sometime Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am in the pool trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow? Who told you to pick up, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Franklin Roosevelt uh, during the time of his presidency, decided or with the military that we needed a, a, a central hospital for the military. And Roosevelt decided that he wanted that hospital to be built in Bethesda, Maryland. And the reason he wanted it built there was because of the significance of the name Bethesda that is derived from this story. And the story about the healing water we'll get to in a little bit. And so at Bethesda, Maryland, you have Walter Reed Army Hospital and Bethesda Naval Hospital. And they're there because of this story and Franklin Roosevelt. This healing is different than most. Now, now other, it, it's in stark contrast to last week's. Or did I preach last week? No, Mark preached last week. Okay, two weeks ago. It's in stark contrast to two weeks ago. The royal official who you remember came to Jesus begging him to heal his son who was near death. This is different than most of the other healings. Because in most of the other healings that Jesus heals people, most of the time they come to him. 
This is different. This is unique. Jesus walks into this pool of Bethesda where all these invalids are, all these paralyzed people and blind and lame and all, you know, having different conditions. And he picks out this one man. Now, we know that this man didn't pick Jesus out because he didn't even know who he was after he was healed. You remember in John chapter 9, and we'll get there way later, but you remember in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. And the Pharisees begin to question him, who was it that healed you? And the blind man says, starts off, the man they call Jesus. He at least knew who he was. This man had no idea. I don't know who it was. And it wasn't until later that Jesus found him at the temple that he realized who he was. There are some important lessons and applications that I think we can learn from this encounter between Jesus and the lame man. Now, remember when we talked specifically about uh, Nicodemus and the woman at the well. We said that in those conversations, Jesus often seemed to be speaking on a spiritual level. And the people were understanding on a much more physical level. Well, we're going to kind of do that with this story. This story is about a physical healing. But we're going to take this story and make some spiritual applications to it. We're going to see at the very end that I think Jesus kind of does the same thing. But uh, we'll, we'll get there in just a minute. So the first thing that I think we can see from this story is that people are longing for hope. People long for hope. Now, those of you that are that have the King James Bible, you'll notice that Wait a minute, you skipped some stuff. Those of you that don't have the King James, you will notice that at the bottom in the footnotes, there is an explanation. The King James and some of the older translations have in there the explanation of why the man said, when I, when the water, you know, there's nobody here to help me in the water. And that when the water was stirred, when the water would kind of rumble, that it was kind of a free for all. And the first person in the pool got healed. Now, I don't know, you know, in which text it's in and which is not. My guess is is that probably at some point in time, somebody wrote that in kind of the margins to explain what was going on. And then it kind of got morphed into the scriptures. Uh, But it makes perfectly good sense, doesn't it? Even in the actual text, it makes no sense for people to be sitting around a pool waiting to jump in if nobody ever got healed, right? It just wouldn't make any sense at all. So it appears as if what's in your footnotes, if you have one of the newer translations, or in the text with one of the older translations, is actually what was going on here. These people were desperate for hope. Even if there were 500 people waiting around that pool, even if you were paralyzed and couldn't move, there was still that glimmer of hope that maybe the next time, The water was stirred. I might get in first. Maybe everybody else will be asleep. Nobody will realize that the pool is being stirred. And I can crawl on my elbows and get over and get in the pool first. Hope. Just a little glimmer of hope. And we live in a world that is desperate for hope. The hope of healing. That's the whole, that's what, My parents live in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Isn't that exactly what Hot Springs was built on? 
was the hope that the hot springs in the middle waters would, would be some sort of healing and have a healing component to it. Years ago when we went to England, we went to a, a place called Bath. And Bath, England is very much like Hot Springs, Arkansas. It's built on hot springs and hot baths and the people would go there because they thought that there was healing power in those springs. Now, there may or may not be some legitimate health significance to the hot water at hot springs, but it's not all healing, is it? If it was, we'd all be there, right? You know? For some, it may feel good. Maybe there is some component to it. But it's not the end all of all to healing. But people will go for hope. People are desperate for hope. We live in a world filled with despair. And people long for and seek hope any way they can find it. Physical hope. Emotional hope. Economic hope. People are desperate for hope. But to paraphrase the old country song, they're looking for hope in all the wrong places. Sometimes people are blinded by false hope to the hope that is right in front of them. The idea that, that, that okay, there's just some other hope out here and they miss what is right before them and right in front of them and what has been presented to them. This man had no idea who Jesus was. This man was putting all his hope in trying to be the next one in the water. And little did he know that standing over him was the one who had the power to heal him. It's reminiscent of, you remember when Peter and John and Acts are going into the temple and there's the beggar there. Also a lame man. And Peter and John say, silver and gold, we do not have. And I've told you before, I think at that point, the man was disappointed. I think at that point, the man probably may have even quit listening to them. Because all he cared about, all he wanted was a few coins. That's what his hope was based in. Every day, he went to the temple. Somebody brought him there, I guess. And he sat there and he begged every day. And he hoped that he made enough money maybe to go home and, you know, get a quarter pounder. If he could just make enough money to make it through the day. And when Peter and John say, we don't have any silver or gold. I'm guessing he was a little disappointed. But then Peter said, but what we do have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Whoa. Whoa, that man had no idea of the power that Peter and James, Peter and John had through Jesus Christ, through God. Had no idea that he could be healed. He would have settled for a few nickels. And so our people, the people in our world, they would settle for so much less. We need to make sure that our hope, our hope, is founded on Christ. And we need to show others that we have hope. In our Bible class this morning, the high school class, I told you we were studying 1 Corinthians this morning. We were in chapter 3 where it talks about where Paul says, No other foundation can anybody lay than that which has already been laid, which is Christ Jesus. 
And I asked the kids, I said, what are some other foundations that people try to build their lives on or put their hopes on? Money, health, popularity as far as, you know, teenagers goes, athletic ability, you know, intelligence, whatever the case may be. But if we're looking for lasting hope, all of that is false. And all of that eventually will be done away with. So people are longing for hope. Second point we get from this is that we must want to get well. You know, these encounters that we've had so far have all kind of been, you could almost characterize all of them by one statement in each of the encounters. To Nicodemus, Jesus said, you must be born again. To the woman at the well, you remember, she said, she said, well, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything. And Jesus said, he who speaks to you is him. I am the Messiah. And then in the story a couple weeks ago, when Jesus told the nobleman to go on home, his son would be healed. It says the man took Jesus at his word. Pretty powerful statement. In this encounter, if I had to pull out one single statement, it's actually a question, but if I had to pull out one single statement that kind of sums up all of this, Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? Now, to you and me, that would seem like a rhetorical question, right? You know, a rhetorical question being one that needs no answer. It's kind of implied in the question. Kind of like, do you want thinking? That The answer is kind of implied. Unless you're a smart aleck like me and would sometimes say, yeah. So I got one. Uh, so anyway. You know, Jesus being rhetorical. Do you want to get well? Duh. Was Jesus being... Why aren't you well? Don't you want to get well? Or is Jesus maybe being piercing into man's thought? And I think this is where Jesus begins to, not verbally like he did with Nicodemus and the woman at the well, but he begins to depart a little bit and start heading to that higher plane. What's interesting to me in this story too is, The man never answered the question. Jesus said, do you want to get well? And the answer should have been yes, right? But no, the man begins to make excuses. He doesn't even say he wants to get well. He just says, the reason I'm not well, it ain't my fault. It's because when the water gets stirred or whatever, somebody else gets in the water before me. You know, the waters have something against me. It's just, it's just not working out. It's not my fault that I'm not well. Is what he seems to be replying to Jesus. We see the same thing in our society. On a physical note, perhaps. A patient who prefers to play the martyr. Then do what the doctor says. The welfare recipient, perhaps, who would rather collect a check than work, even though they're able to. The addict, 
even though it may be difficult, would prefer to not even try rehab or to get straight or clean. And we see that all the time in our society because with healing comes responsibility, not yet. I just realized that, that, that could have been a clue to, I got to talk to Joe up there because that might have been a clue to go to the next point, but it's not. With healing comes responsibilities and sometimes it's easier not to get well. Especially spiritually. It's easier to blame our environment. It's easier to blame our situation. It's easier to blame our family. It's easier to blame our friends. It's easier to blame the church. It's not my fault. It's everybody else's fault. And our world and our society recognizes the plight and consequences of sin. And it gives lip service to getting well. Yet no one really wants to accept the true cure. We've talked about this before. Unwanted pregnancies and abortion. Problem in our country? Yeah. Is there a solution? Yeah. You don't have sex till you get married. That's what God says. But is the world, and would the world agree that if we did that, that would drastically reduce those situations? Sure. I mean, they'd have to, right? But they don't want that answer. Murder, violence. If the world, if we would all love each other, if we would all do others as we would have them do to you, as you would have them do to you, would that eliminate all of that? Sure. But the world does not want the answers that God gives. The world really, our society really does not want to get well. They say they do, but they don't. Because the answers are here. God has given us the answers. I've used this, you know, you know this, you know, you've been here long enough. We got a few visitors, so we'll go with that. Uh, You you remember the demon-possessed man? You remember that? Uh, That had the multiple demons and Jesus... Kicked him out into the pigs and the pigs ran over there. Remember, he was the one that was in the hills and he, and he, you know, ran around naked and cried out at night and was just a crazy man. And they tried to, you know, chain him up and he broke the chains and all of that. And you remember Jesus cast the demons out and the pigs go off the hill and the people from the town come out and they see the man dressed and in his right mind. Was that not what they had been trying to accomplish all these years? That was exactly the resolution they wanted. And Jesus had made him well. Jesus had fixed him when they couldn't. And their reaction to what Jesus did was, uh, could you leave, please? We don't want what, what you're selling. What, but look, look, uh, we don't care. No, could you go somewhere else? You remember even the Pharisees and the, and the rulers of the, uh, the Jewish rulers? You remember when the blind man was healed and when Lazarus was raised from the dead? They wanted to kill Jesus. 
right? But they couldn't. Why? Because a blind man was there and he could see. Because Lazarus had been in the tomb four days and he was up walking around. You would think that would be something that you would extol. Wow, look what Jesus, look what this guy did. He healed a blind man who'd been blind since birth. He raised a man from the dead. We got to figure out a way to get rid of him. We got to kill him. He's just an awful person going around healing people, raising them from the dead. But that's what our world is kind of like. That's what our society is kind of like. They really, I think, don't want to get well. The third point I want to make is that the healthy have responsibilities. Jesus commanded the man to get up, take his mat, and walk. Now, can you imagine the joy? 38 years being an invalid. 38 years not being able to walk. And now, all of a sudden, you can walk. The man that was healed at the, at the temple gates by Peter and John, you remember, is that he got up and started jumping around. Now, it doesn't say that this man got up and jumping around, but if he wasn't, I bet he was pretty close to it. He had to have been excited. He had you know, I can't wait to get home and show my family or, or, or whatever the case may be. But like so often happens, we immediately see a common problem. When we are made healthy, now we're on a spiritual level, right? Everybody up here? When we are made healthy, we come into conflict with the world. It was the Sabbath. Obviously, Jesus was not telling the man to break Sabbath law. But he did tell him to break Sabbath tradition. There was no Sabbath law that said you couldn't carry your mat. That was not part of the Sabbath law. That was not work as far as the law was actually concerned. Now, it was part of the Pharisees' tradition. It was part of the Jewish tradition that had been added on and added on and added on to the Sabbath law. But Jesus didn't tell him to break the law, but he was breaking their tradition. When questioned, he merely recounted the story, much like the blind man in chapter 9. Is it coincidence that Jesus seems to heal a lot on the Sabbath day? He just seems to do that a lot. And I don't think it's coincidence. I think he's trying to make a point. But in John chapter 9, you remember the blind man is healed and immediately he starts getting grilled. The happiest day of his life. And immediately he's being interrogated. Same thing with this man. 38 years, hadn't been able to walk. And he's on his way home, he's rejoicing, and immediately he starts getting interrogated. Now, at this point, the man really had no information to provide them, did he? He didn't know who it was that had healed him. Why are you carrying your mat? Well, the man who healed me told me to carry my mat. Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it, but I think what the man is saying is, look, if the dude can heal me and he wants me to carry my mat, I'm going to carry my mat. And I think that's kind of what the blind man eventually ended up saying. I don't know who he is, but I do know this. I was blind and now I see. And that ought to be 
good enough. This reminds us of the fact that there is inherent conflict between the world and God and his followers. Obeying God and living by faith in him will not be easy. But it will be rewarding. Jesus said, don't be surprised when the world hates you because it hated me. And so when we get healed, when we put our lives in line with Jesus, we are going to be in conflict with the world around us. It's also interesting that the next place we find this man is at the temple. Maybe again, I'm reading too much into it, but I see him worshiping and praising God for his healing. It may have been a technicality. You know, there are a lot of quirks in the Jewish law. You know, if he'd been an invalid his whole life, he was probably considered unclean. And in order to be considered clean again, he needed to go to the temple to get the priest to declare him to be clean. We know for sure that's what happened with leprosy. Remember the 10 lepers? They were cleansed. Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest so that you can be, you know, taken off the list of unclean. But the man was there at the temple. We too, having been healed of our sins, should be found doing the same thing. Jesus' final statement to the man is kind of interesting. Jesus says to the man, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Is Jesus talking physically or spiritually? What's the something worse? If you thought being an invalid for 38 years was tough, wait till I, you know, if you were paralyzed from the waist down for 38 years, if you don't quit sinning, you're going to be paralyzed from the neck down and blind and leprosy. Is that what Jesus is saying? I don't think so. I think this is where Jesus clearly is talking on a different plane. Yeah, it may be rough to be an invalid for 38 years. But if you don't stop sinning, what's going to happen is going to be way worse than that. You're going to lose your soul forever, for eternity. I I think he was talking about the spiritual. Jesus was happy to have helped the man physically. But Jesus knew that the spiritual was of more importance. Jesus warned us not to fear him who can destroy the body. But the one who has the authority to cast the soul into hell. The New Testament is filled with warnings about receiving God's grace. His healing. And then returning to our old way of life. The pig returns to the slop. The dog returns to its vomit. It would have been better never to have known than to have known and turn away from God. I also think it's kind of interesting to me. The man's been an invalid for 38 years. What kind of sinning had he been doing? My guess is that a lot of it had to do with attitude. A lot of it perhaps had to do with his relationship 
with God. Maybe he was filled with hatred of the others who had gotten in the pool ahead of him. Jealousy, envy. Maybe he was so bitter because of his condition that he couldn't even appreciate what God had provided for him. I don't know what it was. But Jesus told him, quit it. Stop sinning. Or something worse will happen to you. One quick, this is an addendum, right? You know, you know, an appendix or whatever. Jesus only healed the one man. There must have been hundreds waiting at that pool. Hundreds who were probably in as worse and some maybe even worse condition than this man. But Jesus healed this man and then slipped away into the crowd. The thing that that tells me is I don't understand how God works all the time. I I, I don't. I wish I did. I wish it made sense to me. But because he's God and I'm not, there's going to be a lot of times when it doesn't make sense to me. But we know, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, you know, we know that God is good and has been good to us. The question each of us, Jesus is asking each of us today is, do you want to get well? Not physically, but spiritually. If you're here tonight and you've never had the cleansing blood of Jesus heal you of sin through faith and obedience and baptism, don't you want to get well? Don't you want to get well? And if we've been made well, are you living the life Worthy of the healing that you've obtained. If you're here this evening, we can help you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903 903- Six four five two eight nine six. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at eight one eight West W M Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas seven five six three eight. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at nine thirty a.m. for Bible class and ten thirty a.m. for worship service. 
Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.